0: Do you remember the last time you picked up a pen and noticed the quality? How about a razor you handled that didn't feel cheaply made? When was the last time a product made a true and lasting impression on you? In this era of the mass-produced and disposable, anything lovingly handcrafted seems to be a rare thing. Maybe it's time for a change, and spindle craft can help. At Spindlecraft, passion and superior quality make it stand out from the faceless, automated crowd. Material for each piece of work is thoughtfully chosen, crafted, sanded, and finally polished with the kind of attention to detail and dedication you can't get off of an assembly line. At Spindlecraft, they know that quality of the material is as important as the quality of the craftsmanship and is a reflection of both the artist and the customer. So, rather than buying some cheap pens or razors that you won't give a second thought, purchase something from Spindlecraft. To see what they have to offer, go to www.spindlecraft.com and at the checkout, enter the word GEEKS. That's G-E-E-K-S to get 10% off. We're sure that once you have a Spindlecraft product in your hand, you won't want to put it down. Welcome to the Freaking Geeks Podcast. The flagship podcast of Freaking Geeks Media. In this podcast hosts Michael, Sarah, and Barry crank the geekiness to 11. Covering everything from movies and television to pop culture, video games, books, and so much more. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. The podcast is produced each week, so feel free to add us to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. The links will be in the show notes. Okay, now it's time to start the show. Hello
1: and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Jacob. Hello. All right, Jacob. So we are here to review Office Space. This is the 1999 Mike Judge directed and created comedy. And before we get into anything, what was your first experience with this movie? Uh. Uh, high school uh, once i hit uh teenage
2: years uh i would get exposed to all kinds of mike judge created stuff uh like beavis and butthead and a few other things here and there like like the movies that he created for beavis and butthead in the show and then uh somebody brought this up and mentioned it and I was like oh all right, well, let's, punch, let's watch this. It seems like it could be interesting and funny. Why not? It's uh, different than a lot of his animated stuff, so give it a try. Mm-hmm. And yeah, mostly just trying to find something that could make me laugh and being a, you know a teenage boy, something clearly stuff that was highly inappropriate humor. Uh, I was hoping <laughs> for more of that, so...
1: Uh, yeah, my first experience with this movie was, um, it came out in 99 and I didn't see it when it came out in theaters, but when it was out on, well, DVD had just come out, but we didn't have a DVD player yet, right? So I rented it on VHS at our local video store. It was about a year or so after it came out. So, and it was one of those movies where I just looked at the cover and it just, I just wanted to watch it. You know, sometimes when you're walking around, at least if you go back in time, back to when you actually went to a a blockbuster or your local video store to rent something, sometimes the covers are what sells you on the movie, which is fine. And and I think they're supposed to, at least to a a point. And for me, the cover looked hilarious. This guy covered in, you know, post-it notes with this kind of really geeky looking guy uh, with big, you know, Uh, thick glasses on, kind of peering over his shoulder, and I thought, okay, you know, this actually looks kind of funny, I read the back, it's a comedy, so I rented it, and I thought it was hilarious, you know, and I really, really liked it, and uh, I watched it, I have watched it quite a bit over the years, Um, I watched it a lot in college, uh, and I've probably, I've probably seen it, uh, I mean, it's been almost 20 years now. I'd say, altogether, I've probably watched this movie about 60 or 70 times. Um, I watched it a lot in college. It's probably, I would say, a majority of my watches were in college. I owned <laughs> it, and, and so I watched it a lot. But I've seen it probably once a year, at least, probably for the last uh, 15, about 15 years. Nice. Yeah.
2: It's definitely one of
1: those movies. Lady. oh yeah yeah She's... it's it's definitely one of those movies it uh it just happens to be the kind of movie that is it's quick, it's not that long, and you just find yourself laughing, you know even now, after all these years, I watch it, I laugh, so yeah, even with some of the
2: dated technology in it, like they do he does a good job of making it, not stuff that isn't still potentially around today like the printer issues no one's ever in the history of office workers are ever going to not have to deal with some way shape or form a printer (laughs) so like Uh, just like any kind of weird out-of-date program that just doesn't want to work with you like it just doesn't want to it's a pain in the neck to deal with and having to answer to bosses. So, like, he it, it does a good job of, like, even though some of the stuff, like, you can kind of tell is dated. Like, you can see the obviously, the computers and whatnot look old as crap now. But it does a good job. Like, not everything. And, like, he makes sure it's kind of timeless.
1: Yeah, it is. It is quite, a, uh, quite timeless. And, uh, you know, obviously, there are very few movies that aren't dated, okay? um Got you have it. to work really hard to make your movie not feel dated you know if you cut out all technology if you um you know cut out anything that would date it with uh you know try to make give it like a very broad um decor uh, for set like a scene setting and if you take people you put them in clothes that really could be from any era you can do that but most movies don't and so they they're just dated and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. People say, Ah, oh, it's dated, it's dated, this movie, I mean it's definitely from the eighties, you can tell them like, well yeah, it was shot in the eighties. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know I don't know why people feel like that's a real problem with movies. Um there's really nothing wrong with that. If it's oh, shot God, in the eighties no. and it's set in the eighties, then why is it dated? Like, okay, it it's it's from the decade it was made and they didn't hide that fact. So
2: Sometimes that makes them better like it's it's just a nice little glimpse into how things were at that time period like breakfast club for Mm -hmm. example like looking back and like yeah there's clearly dated stuff but it's also like seeing that even in the 80s that it clearly is set in it's not that different like yeah there wasn't like yeah clearly the clothes and the style of everything but not the issues weren't much different, no, so it's think... always nice refresher. Nice to see that in the dating of movies, and a lot of times, unless it like, unless it just clearly, you know, can't doesn't get the whole premise of it through because of the dating of the movie. Like most of the time, it, it yeah makes it kind of nice and refreshing to see that time period and how that affected the movie.
1: Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Um, All right. So let's uh, jump into our review here proper. Uh, We'll do the rundown first of information here, and then we'll get into our review. So Office Space was released on February 19th, 1999. It was written and directed by Mike Judge with a runtime of an hour and 29 minutes, budget of $10 million, in a box office uh, hall, if you want to call okay. it that, of ten point eight million, so they made back their their money uh, at the box office mostly. But it was such a big hit on VHS and DVD that they've made probably probably a good forty fifty million dollars, I'd say, on this movie uh, in terms of actual profit because it has been that profitable over the years. Um, it stars Ron Livingston, Jennifer Aniston, Gary Cole and Stephen Root. So, pretty good, you know, collection of actors there. Jennifer Aniston, that's probably around her her peak, I think in terms of like Friends and everything, you know, Friends had been out about 5 years at that point. Uh, it was still the most popular TV show in the world. And yeah, she was probably like peak, around peak popularity at that point in time. Uh Ron Livingston's always been an actor that I've liked watching. He's um just a solid, good actor. He does a lot of comedies, but I've I've seen him do dramas and uh, some darker stuff as well. Uh, Gary Cole, uh, another favorite. Uh, pretty much I'll watch anything he's in. He's he's just hilarious. Uh, uh, <laughs> Talladega Nights uh, is another great one with him, among others. And, of course, Steven Root is uh, – Steven Root, he's just uh, a chameleon of an actor. Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah, and then there's some pretty decent sized actors that are kind of just like one off scenes or not really too big in the movie. That just once you realize who they are, it's crazy. Like Orlando Jones.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Minute, That's right. Like
2: it's pretty big named actor for like a 10, 15 second. Same, <laughs> like, uh, and, um, oh, oh crap, well, well, the neighbor, I'm spacing his name.
1: Oh, Dietrich. So he's, uh, yeah, Dietrich Bader, Lawrence. Dietrich Bader. Yeah. Bader. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, if, if I remember correctly, I think this was one of Orlando Jones's first movies. Um, it was this or Evolution? Because both were about the same time. Yeah, this, uh, well, he did. He did. You know, no. This was one of his first. Uh, he did a few movies, uh, two movies before this, but they were very small. Uh, Woo and Sour Grapes, but yeah, this is okay. like his third one, and yeah, uh, you know, this is around the time he started to make a name for himself. You know, this is really the beginning of Orlando Jones as we know him today. Uh, but one of my favorite actors is, and I know that he's he's kind of divisive, but I I don't care, uh, because I'm a big Scrubs fan. So John C. McGinley in yes. this movie as is, is one of the bobs is just the Michael Bolton <laughs> loving Bob is yeah. fantastic. Um the guy is i watch it. I watch he's one of those actors like if I see he's in a movie I'm like hmm, my my senses perk up a little bit, you know. Like, oh, "Okay, you know, this alone he, the fact that he's in there, I'll I'll probably watch it." So he's
2: just got that iconic stature about him. Like you cannot help but recognize him. Like you may not know his name, but the moment you see him you know like that's the guy that played
1: Dr. Cox. That's yep. the guy that
2: just raped into everybody and just was hilarious.
1: Yep. Yeah. Uh he's a really good actor and he's he's got a if you go back in like the eighties and stuff, I mean he he was it's kind of surprising how many good movies he was in, even back in like the eighties. Oh he yeah. He's a pretty young actor. Uh yeah, so this movie is well, this movie is definitely hilarious and uh we probably should get into our review properly. Uh really the crux of this movie in terms of the plot is that if it centers on Inattack, which is this company and Peter is just unhappy with his job and he goes to his uh this psychotherapist uh hypnosis expert or whatever and he's just looking for some help because he just he hates his life hates his job and his girlfriend kind of sets this up he ends up getting hypnotized and the the hip, the hypno uh hypnotist dies of a heart attack during the hypnosis And from that point on, he basically is just got a screw this attitude about everything, and that includes his job. But the fact that he is like this is what actually gets him headed up the company ladder um, because it creates an opportunity for him to be more confident and, I believe, more truthful and honest. As a result, so I think that's um, a big thing to talk about in this uh, in this movie. But basically, it's about three friends who just hate their their job. They get into a, a kind of a scam thing, and you kind of get all the skewering and satire of the setting of uh, you know nine to five white collar jobs. You know, for sure. All right, so let's talk about this movie, uh, Jacob. What really stands out to you about the office space as a movie as a comedy what is the kind of the better aspects of this movie the qualities that really make it stand out why is it so popular and is such a cult favorite and has been for almost 20 years
2: um i would say like kind of how you mentioned it's it's the satire of every day everyone's day-to-day job like no one has never had a a job in which they had a boss that just ticked them off or they just didn't like it like if if somebody has not had that experience then kudos to you like congratulations you're like one of maybe (laughs) three million people in the world that has one out of every three million but everyone can sympathize with that like I do not need five different people telling me this one thing that was clearly a one-time-I-forgot-to-do-something I, I forgot to do something that clearly doesn't seem to matter. <laughs> like, it, yeah. So, I, I think the satire of the Everyman truly is what makes this movie such a cult classic, because just... People want to be able to just be like, you know what? I don't give a crap anymore. Screw this. Yep. Y'all suck. Yep. <laughs> like...
1: Yeah, it's a real send up, I think, of of the the culture and what it's like to work in a cubicle and work into a nine to five job uh that has you doing some of this boring, menial labor that is just like it it's soul sucking. Um, and, and now, you know, I mean, look, I've, I've been working in a cubicle for, for many years and, you know, I actually like my job, you know, but I also, I mean, there are days, I think everyone has days now. I, I think it's regardless of what job you have and it doesn't have to be in a cubicle. It doesn't have to be in a company that's like this, but everyone has days where their job just, like I just don't want to be there. Okay. For whatever reason, it could be something Outside of work could be something inside of work, but for whatever reason- whatever reason you just do not want to be there and here's the thing: the movie is successful in skewering that kind of work environment um like i said it's it's this soul sucking boring monotonous work you know you have all these guys are sitting on their computers and they're working on the uh y two k and for people who are young I have no idea what that <laughs> even means um so the basic idea is if you go back to pre two thousand, all right, to, to save a little space way back in the day, and this is like back in the seventies and the eighties, when computers were coming out, instead of having a four digit like nineteen ninety nine or nineteen ninety four, whatever, like four digit year, they did two digit. All right. And it seems like such a small thing now, but back then, because space was such a premium. And I mean a premium. Everyone now has smartphones that carry more uh, storage space than supercomputers did, you know, back in the seventies. Um, on just this little, tiny little phone, right? But, you know, back in the day, you know, I remember when I got my first computer in college. This is two thousand and one. My hard drive was was a forty gig hard drive, and that was huge. By the way, that was massive. All right. So now you go back to the 70s and you're looking like, you know, a tiny little bit of space. So anyway, the point is to to save on that space, it's now two digits. So when we were going from the year 1999 to 2000, it would go from 99 to double zero. That was a problem because all these computers are responsible for so many things, even at that point in time, that there was a real fear there was going to be a crash of the systems. I mean, systems across the world were going to crash. Now. It didn't happen. And I think lost in all that was the realization from uh, the lack of realization for a lot of people that the reason that that didn't happen is because a lot of companies spent millions and millions of dollars and a lot of time uh, getting these things worked out. It wasn't because that wasn't going to be an issue, it's because they went in and they fixed most of those issues before it actually became a problem. So people don't realize it could have been a real problem. It's just that they managed to fix much of that before you know we went over to the year 2000 but the job of these people in this movie is to do that is to fix those problems and it's such a mind-numbing process and do that every single day day in and day out and this is what the movie tries to do is it tries to show you how bad this is and then it kind of just shoots like this nice big black uh, level of satire right through the movie, and uh, it has you busting a gut. I mean, Lumberg played by by Gary Cole, <coughs> excuse me, is is hilarious. It's one of the the great comedic characters I think of all time.
2: Yeah, for sure. And for those who are uh too young to really know too much, and sure, some people probably never watched it before this and whatnot, but. It's the great origin of a very popular meme of Lumberg, uh, of him asking, like, just this asking of working over on the weekend. Yeah, <laughs> if you could just come in on Saturday, that'd be great.
1: Yeah, I have you come in on Sunday, too, you know? Yeah.
2: Like, oh, man. Every time I watch this and that part comes up and I'm just like,
1: yep. no, I
2: don't do it. Stop it.
1: Yep. It, it, it's it's. I think it's um, it's his persona. It's how he never he never seems to get upset. You know, like even if you were to insult him, he would just be like, um, yeah. So <laughs> I think you're gonna have to talk to HR because you have some real anger issues. Like it it was just he he never gets upset. In fact, there was a scene in the movie that was cut out, and Gary Cole has since agreed that it was it was a good idea to take it out. It's when his car his car gets towed in the movie, and there was a scene they shot where he was going to get angry out there in the parking lot. The fact that his car got towed, and they cut it, and he said that was the best decision they made because. As a character, Lumberg just needs to be on the same emotional plane all throughout the movie. That's that's what makes his character so frustrating and so great at the same time is that no matter what you throw at him, for the most part, he doesn't get upset, he doesn't get he's not happy, he's not upset, he's just it's like the guy is is taking some medication which completely like zones him out, you know, just just even kills his entire emotional state. Um so, yeah, it's uh, a hilarious portrayal in one of the best – like I said, one of the best comedic performances, uh, I think, of all time uh, because it's understated and it just makes you bust a gut every time. Um, So this this plot for this movie is uh, you got these, these guys, they're friends. They've been working together for some time. They work at Intertech. And, of course, Peter at this point in the movie – which is about 15 minutes in or so, he's just like, screw this. The Bobs are brought in by Lumberg because they're looking to save money. They're looking to cut some people. And so they're looking for the inefficiencies within this company. This is the job of the Bobs. They interview everybody, find out where, we got redund- where they have redundancies in terms of like having two or three people doing the exact same job when one would be sufficient. So what you do, you cut two people, the one person who they feel is capable of you know, doing the job, gets to keep their job, you know. Um, and so you have Michael, Michael Bolton, which is just <laughs> that, that no-talent ass clown, um, which is great. <laughs> see, you're laughing. You can't even keep a straight face. Um, so for people that aren't <laughs> sure what that – what I mean, if you've seen this movie, you might know. But Michael Bolton, if you don't know who he is, not the – character here in this movie but Michael Bolton was is still a singer and back in the 90s he was just this huge music star I mean he, he won all these Grammys and he was pretty much everywhere and <laughs> in this movie they have a character whose uh, name is Michael Bolton and he hates the fact that he has to share a name with this singer, this guy who he basically calls a no-talent ass clown and Michael, the actual – the real you know, Michael Bolton, the singer, was devastated for years. Um, he would get asked about this movie. People would call him a no-talent ass clown in public. <laughs> uh, it took him a long, long time. It took him about 10, 15 years until he finally was able to see the movie, laugh at the movie, and not care and, and just actually – kind of join in on the funny. In fact, he did a a uh, a comedy skit uh, a few years ago in which he replaced the Michael Bolton in the movie with himself and kind of did all the scenes as in all the dialogue as is except for the moment where he calls him a, a no-talent ass clown and he, I think he calls him a really talented ass clown.
2: Extremely talented, Extremely talented, ass, talented clown.
1: ass clown, that's what it was. And so yeah. um <laughs> it's just it's just hilarious and so that that's one of the funny things in the movie but anyway uh so peter he he gets uh, hypnotized and then he's in the in this just i don't care i don't give a fuck attitude in this movie for about the first half of the runtime and it's this attitude which actually serves him well okay um and it's played for laughs but it's also, you know, a satirical send-up of of what it's like to not care, and yet still succeed within a company. So because he doesn't care, and he's not in these one-off meetings with the Bobs um, in an attempt to save his job, it allows him to be completely honest in a way that everybody else isn't, because everyone else is trying to save their jobs. Everyone else is trying to tell the Bobs why they shouldn't be fired. And this is what makes it refreshing them to have someone come in and just give them the unvarnished truth. So Peter's like, yeah, hey, look, you know, I come in like 15 minutes late every day, I come in through the side door so that Lumberg doesn't catch me. And of course you're thinking this dude, this is the worst thing you could be doing. Why are you telling these guys that this is what you do? Because this is the way you get fired. But but then he kind of launches in about the TPS reports, which is great. And, you know, about how he has eight bosses and if he does anything wrong, he has eight bosses coming down to tell him the exact same thing that he's done wrong each time. And so this refreshing honesty is what impresses the Bobs because they're looking for inefficiencies in the workplace. So in fact, Peter's helping them out actually by telling them the truth and all the things that are wrong in the company. So he's kind of like it's like they're on the same level, on the same plane because he's on their on their level because he's being honest about what's going on within Inatech itself. Where everyone else is just like, hey, this is why you shouldn't fire me, because I'm I'm a people person, uh, while shouting at the people in front of him, he's trying to convince, <laughs> you know, to keep his job. Um and so this is why Peter succeeds in this movie, whereas everybody else doesn't they don't connect with the bobs that's the problem Michael Bolton doesn't connect because even though he's got the same name as as Michael Bolton the singer, and obviously one one of the bobs is a huge fan, they can tell he's not really a Michael Bolton fan and so yeah he's being cut or uh the guy I was just talking about the one that's um oh what's the guy uh, the actor's name um uh, I'm trying to think of the guy, the actor in the movie. Dang it.
2: Uh, oh, uh, the I'm a people person? Yeah. I it's, uh, oh, crap. I had it.
1: Well, I'll just have to look it up. <laughs> so It's like, um... I've seen him in other movies. <laughs> the actor. Yeah. Um, Oh, Tom Smikowski. Uh yeah. Played by Richard Rao. So, yeah, so he's just like, well, why don't you, you know... Why don't you go up and deal with, with or why don't you try to think that he gets the work order from somebody in the back who then gives it to him, who then he then goes up and talks to, to the customer. Whereas they're like, well, why can't that person just go up and do it themselves, essentially cutting out Tom's job? And that's when he's just like I'm a people person. They're not. They don't have people skills. They don't know how to talk to people, and it's they can't uh, talk to the customer, <laughs> right? And so it it's it's this um, it's this lack of connecting with the bobs, and I think in a lot of ways, being brutally honest, which is my job probably isn't all that necessary. But if we did this, this, and this, then maybe my job would be necessary. And so uh, Peter succeeds, and they're on his level, and they think he's upper management material. My problem with this movie is the second half or more like the, thir- the the last act of the movie. So uh Peter decides to employ both of his friends to help do this this scheme because Michael Bolton Michael says that he's got this this uh bit of uh, this program which will take out, you know, like half a cent or something like that. Uh, yeah,
2: it's like one-tenth it one of a the cent. Because the system can't work with fractions of a penny, mm. they
1: round it down. Exactly. <clears throat> and, yeah. And so it, it would take fractions of a penny, and then they would put it into an account. And if they did this you know, so many times over the course of so many months, they would have all this money. And they would basically be stealing it from Inatech and peter's like what why does that sound familiar he's like oh yeah it was like the, the one of the plots in like superman 2 i think super
2: yeah it was, it was one of the really bad uh, or one of the bad I superman's yeah superman it was, 3. Superman yeah, I it was like superman one. 3
1: yeah yeah so it's like okay boy that's not a good it's not a good thing to steal it from but whatever um <laughs> but you know it, it actually ends up going badly because Michael uh, he misplaces a decimal point so all of a sudden what was supposed to be you know a tenth a tenth of a cent per uh, transaction ends up being a lot more next thing you know within a few days they have you know a lot of money in this account and so of course an attack is going to be able to uh, find out who did it they'll track it down they're all going to go to prison and you know the movie does about as well as it could with this plot. But I've always been a little annoyed, honestly, at the back end. Because I never felt like that was the direction that the movie should go. I don't know precisely where it should have went. I guess I've never really given it that much thought as to where I feel like the movie should have gone. But I think when the movie gets away from the office itself. Because, I mean, they have Milton there and Milton's another all-time great character. Then when they get away from the office and dealing with all the stuff going on within the office, it takes away I think from some of the best parts of that movie. If you look at the first 45 minutes of this movie or so, it is fantastic. It's hilarious. You're busting a gut. And there are some funny parts in the back end. I mean, don't get me wrong, there are some funny lines and some funny sequences, but I've always felt like they should have kept the movie within the confines of The Office and found a way to resolve it there. And Mike Judge, by the way, agrees. I thought about that for years. I always had that opinion. And I just I was like, I don't really feel like this is the way it should have gone. Something tells me that it should have gone a different way. And Mike Judge has come out in the years since and said that uh, he knew that he really shouldn't have shot that. That they, uh, he realized that the third act was a problem, but that. He didn't have time to change anything and they had to shoot the ending as is, but he's always regretted that that was the ending to the to office space. There should have been something different. What it was, I don't know. He, As far as I can tell, he's never said what the ending would have been if he had time to go back and rewrite it, but uh, it wasn't the ending that he wanted ultimately. Uh, and I feel the same. I feel like um, there's a, there's, uh, you also have the, the deuce ex machina with Milton. Uh, lighting in Attack on Fire. And of course, that just fixes everyone's problem. And then on top of that, you know, Peter just kind of comes out of his, like, his trance is hypnosis in the movie kind of randomly um, as well, which I, I don't know quite why that happened. He just kind of wears off, I guess. And, you know, then he ends up in a job doing construction at the end of the movie. And it's like, I know there's probably a lot of construction people who would consider their job soul crushing and is that any less of a soul crushing job than it is to sit in an office and be in front of a computer all day? Really? So, I don't know. What are your what are your thoughts on the the third act? Do you, you uh, do you have a problem with it or do you um, think it works perfectly fine?
2: I I can see like I definitely see where you're- what you're saying like it does seem kind of a an odd direction like it seemed kind of out of nowhere for it to happen but i think it was kind of i don't know i can see why they did it in the sense of like this is i wouldn't say last minute it was they're doing this in retaliation for the fact that i think what snapped him out of it was the fact that his friends are getting fired and he's moving up Right. Like they actually care he doesn't and they're the ones that are getting screwed over. So I think that's one of those – it may not necessarily be the most – it could have probably done a little bit better. I don't know yeah, how it's the they worst. would have gone about it in the third ha- – like the last third. But I think that's kind of why. It's just more of a – he's no longer – oh, yeah, I just don't care and don't stress. Now they've kind of not only – screwed me over, or trying to screw me over they're screwing over my friends as well so i think that's kind of where that has come in like that transition yeah is meant to be
1: i can see that and it's not the worst ending like i don't watch office space and get to the to the third act i don't groan you know yeah it's not like it, it doesn't ruin the movie i mean that's why i've watched it like 60 times but if i'm looking at it from a critical standpoint at least for me it's always bothered me a little bit, but I still laugh and I get to the end and I go, oh, "Hilarious movie," and you know that's fine. Um, but I, I just I felt like it maybe could have been better. I always felt that way. Oh, yeah. But it, I see also your point about why Peter kind of snaps out of his his trance, his uh, you know, I don't care attitude, because his friends it suddenly hits him like, oh. Um, I have friends who are losing their jobs right now. This is not, you know, how to feel. Um But I guess, you know, we I guess the thing is we, we get away from a lot of like I said, a lot of the stuff that really would have helped out if they'd have chosen a different ending. Like the bobs just disappear. Um <laughs> Yeah. I and mean, they do. They just disappear. Sad. They they don't exist anymore in the movie. Um Which I'm not saying that the ending required them to be a big aspect of it, but I felt like, you know, when you take characters, and granted, they're not the biggest characters in the movie, let's face it, but I mean, they do share a decent amount of screen time, all things considered, and I just, I feel like when you take characters and they just disappear from a movie for no reason, because they're simply not needed anymore, but it's because you've kind of veered off in an entirely different direction with the plot. It's yeah. A, it could be a little bit. Of, it's a problem for me because there should be some resolution to why they're there. It's just all of a sudden at the end of the day, they're completely unnecessary because Initech gets burned down. Ultimate, you know. Ultimately, they just it goes up in flames. Uh, not the bobs, but you know, the whole point of them being there. So yeah. Um but you know look this movie is hilarious it is immensely quotable it has so many lines that i've heard a lot of my friends say over the years um everybody that i've ever worked with in an office setting has said you know do you do you have your tps reports um <laughs> some level of that uh, you know kind of quote um you know they've had a bad day under the breath they'll say that's it. <laughs> I'm gonna burn this place down. But in a joking way, not in like a a way in which I really feel like this place on fire. Less, yeah, like with place fire. But because like we've all watched Office Space, we've all talked about it and so they know, you know, hey, I'll get a good chuckle out of out of all this and it's just you know, like even when I was at uh when I was in working at CVS when I was in college, um I remember we all watched office space back then and and it's, you know, it's a convenience store. So it's, it's a little different, but even back then it was like, uh, my coworkers would say, yeah, that's I'm going to set this place on fire (laughs) and just, you know, and, and kind of laugh and, and we'd all just joke around and and kind of quote office space all day. It's just, when you have a movie that is this immensely quotable, it tells you that uh, the person that writes it knows how to, you know, tell a good well, joke he used
2: to be an engineer too oh, yeah. uh, so like he he is experienced office work like he's had to deal with that in his life before becoming you know the Mike judge of creating these whole comedies that he is known for so like it, it, it's in a lot of ways him pulling from his own personal experience like, he even said one of the uh characters even how oh, was it he
1: it was a uh, it was it was Milton and yeah. he said that in his job he went over to ask him how he was doing and he suddenly like went off on this big tangent and about how you know he was going to quit his job because they moved his desk around a whole bunch oh uh,
2: yeah that and
1: was it. yeah it it definitely pulls from his life and in fact what really kind of created office space probably or influenced him quite a bit was that as an engineer he had to alphabetize purchase orders for 2 to 3 weeks for 8 hours a day which he described as god awful he said he couldn't daydream or talk to someone without losing his place in the alphabet and it made it really really like bad it was terrible so if you want to you know understand where this idea for office space came from it's a fact that he had to do this for like 3 weeks Eight hours a day. That is that now. That is mind numbing. That is mind numbing work. Um, There's some other things about this movie, some other uh, uh, trivia that we should probably get to, which is uh, uh, let's see. Let's see. He had uh, the studio wanted the characters to be chippier um, because the dailies, a lot of them had like Lumberg saying, um yeah, a lot. And it drove the executives crazy. Like it was just like, Get them to be more energetic, and they didn't like the hip hop soundtrack at all until they did a um. They they did the uh the the testing the screen tests and the people loved it. They loved the soundtrack. They thought it was great. And uh, "Damn It Feels Good to Be a Gangster" is still <laughs> the the soundtrack for printer beatdowns all over the world. <laughs> the Most
2: iconic scene and most. <clears throat> spoofed scene in so many things
1: yep it is you can't watch family
2: guy american dad or futurama without that scene being in it
1: yep it is it is a class tell you what the ghetto boys who were the ones that did the song i mean tell you what they they have gotten a lot of mileage out of that song (laughs) right there um so anyway it was it was it was a soundtrack that you know got the approval because the people watching it Loved the soundtrack. They thought it added a lot to it. Uh, Diedrich Beider, who plays Lawrence, he, I think he's, he shot everything for in like a couple of days, all of his scenes. Um, he had a very specific idea of what he wanted Lawrence to look like. And he said, "In and I quote, someone who loved the Allman Brothers. And so for people <laughs> that don't know who the Allman Brothers are, it's back, go back to the 70s. Uh, you'll, you'll understand. Um, okay. John C. McGinley originally auditioned to play Lumberg, but Gary Cool got the job, so they offered him the role of Bob Slidell, aka the taller, mustachioed Bob. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, TPS actually stands for Test Program Set Reports. So, and that he said, uh, Mike Judge said that goes back to his engineering days. So that's what they would get the TPS reports. Um,. It's supposed to be sent in anywhere USA. And actually, if you look at the uh, license plates for all the cars. It doesn't read like most use uh, license plates. They got custom made USA license plates on them. So uh, that way, nobody would know exactly where this movie was supposed to be set.
2: Yeah, no specific state.
1: Yeah. And for people that uh, are young. And have been to a TGI Fridays, Chotchkeys, which is basically a stand-in for TGI Fridays. Now, if you go back in time, before two thousand and six, they did flare. This movie is partially responsible for TGI Fridays phasing out the idea of wearing flare. So, <laughs> yes, if, when How's this,
2: this for some flare,
1: right? And and it's just uh, if you watch this movie, the whole tchotchkes flair issue that uh, Joanna had it's because of this this uh, restaurant chain because they did that and uh, as for the character that Mike Judge plays now for, for anybody that doesn't know what Mike Judge looks like he's actually the tchotchkes manager he plays it in this uh, movie because it was a late edition he wrote the character and it was kind of a late thing and he's like "I'll I'll do it and he pulled from an experience he said where you know, he had gone in years earlier to I want to say it was like a like a circuit city or something. And there was a, a young woman in there who had a can of like, like Pepsi or Coke. And she set it down on. I think it was the top of her cubicle or something. And her manager came over and he basically acted like this guy completely. He was just like, "Uh, yeah, I'll tell you what, I I need you to move that can of soda, and she's like, Well why uh because I want you to and it, it's just he he basically acted like yeah, there's like this passive aggressive quality to him as a character as a person and and so he wanted to translate in that into the boss at Chachki's so uh and there's some other stuff in here, so Brian the flare loving Chachki's waiter he actually sued the studio because on a special edition dvd uh called the office space box of flair it included a 32 page book and it had like 15 buttons and he was on like uh the cover um one of the buttons and he sued the studio for um not giving him financial compensation uh for putting his face on you know the flare and on the button i do yeah, the buttons and on the, the cover and it was dismissed because uh that's they can do that you know like yeah he's, i was about to
2: say like that makes sense it's like little advertising marketing mm-hmm. for the movie you can't be like if you're in the movie you're gonna kind of you're gonna be used for marketing of it like
1: yeah because it's they don't they took pictures of him in his you know costume and everything and his face is on there like that's their, that's their photos they can do whatever they want they don't need you to sign off on it you signed off on the movie you're an actor you're getting paid for it you know so yeah. that's not uh, that's not cool Uh, Swingling, Swingline made red staplers after this movie came out so uh, before this movie came out uh, Swingline had stopped making red staplers many many years earlier and then when this came out they got calls and emails from people wanting to know where they could buy a red stapler. And they would email or, or if it was on the phone, they would say, well, you know, we don't make that that model. We don't make uh, any of our staplers using the color red. And they got so many calls for it. They finally decided in April of 2002 to do a Rio red model, which is the same color and the same design as the one in Office Space. Which tells you how popular Office Space is that they can get a company. To do a new model and a new color of uh, a stapler found in a movie that was a prop. That the prop company had to paint red because they needed a color that stood out. And so they chose red. That's power right there. <laughs>
2: yeah. That, that's crazy to think. It's like uh, with The Office the Show, like it impacted quite a bit as well. Oh, yeah. Definitely. And like it's one of those things. Like you'd be surprised at how powerful movies can be.
1: Oh, definitely. Um. So here's another bit of trivia for you. The PC load letter scene, uh, was not scripted. So when uh Michael, when he's like in front of the printer, early in the movie, he actually had more lines to say to Peter, to Ron Livingston but he was interrupted by the photocopier jamming and he didn't understand what it meant when it said pc load letter so that's like he was like he was like jamming like slamming into the into the in the printer and he didn't know what it meant so he had more lines <laughs> to say but it was such a good take that they decided to include it in the movie so that's just that's just great that's stuff that happens sometimes in movies where it actually works out better if the scene yeah. didn't play out exactly as it was supposed to, to be played out And Orlando Jones based his character on his niece who, according to Jones, would sell Girl Scout cookies door to door and she had a really poor attitude. So I'm sure that his niece isn't happy that that's what he based his his character on. (laughs)
2: especially saying I was addicted to crack
1: (laughs) yeah well you know it's just like I mean just like the fact that he has such a poor attitude going door to door like the the fact that his his niece is in the Girl Scouts and she had such a poor attitude going door to door that doesn't sound good and I can't imagine she was all that happy that people know that (laughs) Uh. Uh,
2: yeah
1: Uh. All right, so let's, um. you want to get into the script, the grades, and we'll do grades for the script, acting, uh, directing, editing, and rewatchability. Just a heads up for everybody, uh, as a reminder, and if, in case you don't know, we're not including rewatchability anymore as a grade. We're going to, um, it's going to be, you know, it's we're going to have the grade itself included, but we're not factoring it into the grades overall anymore. The reason is I ran into a problem where I realized if a movie isn't exactly a fun movie to watch or say is a hard-hitting historical uh, drama um, or something that just is not fun, most of the time it's not going to have a high rewatchability score. So as an example, I'll use Schindler's List. Most people would agree that if you watch Schindler's List, it's one of the best movies of all time. Everyone should watch Schindler's List at least one time in their life. Most people are not gonna watch Schindler's List twice because even though it's a powerful movie, it's not a fun movie to watch. So a movie like Schindler's List is not gonna have a high rewatchability grade. And while all these grades are subjective, okay, the rewatchability grade is probably the most subjective out of everything, okay? And I just I've realized that it's unfair to knock a, a movie down Score wise, because it's not exactly a crowd pleaser. Okay. And, whereas, you know, a movie like Office Space or a fun movie, a comedy, a crowd pleaser, something like that, Guardians of the Galaxy is an example, is going to have probably a high watchability score for most people. Okay. Because it's a good time. You enjoy it. You want to watch it again. You can't wait to pop that DVD back in and watch Guardians once again. Uh, and so I realized that that was a problem. I didn't really feel like that was fair to movies like that, like Schindler's List. And as a way of kind of heading that off, uh, we'll no longer be factoring that into the overall grade. So now the grades will consist of everything outside of rewatchability. So uh, let's start out with script. Um, prose, uh, why don't you start out uh, with the pros and the cons and give me your overall grade.
2: Um. Yeah, it, it was a really well done script. It had some amazing scenes and really well done like moments, and in some of the lines, just clearly like there's iconic lines in this movie that people will use time and time again, and just moments where it needed to be soft spoken or very like outspoken. Just really well done. Uh, like you, you kind of talked about it wasn't bad but it i think it could have been better the last third of it which he even said he kind of wished it would have gone in a different direction so it it tell it's kind of telling there that there's definitely some flaws with the script in the last third but all in all i i think it's very well done well written very good dialogue and scenes where there's just not dialogue at all like the the printer beatdown scene, like no dialogue at all, just music and them just wailing on this piece of crap printer uh, and being able to have those scenes that works really well. Uh, but that last third is kind of noticeable. Um, so I gave it an
1: 82%. Okay. All right. So uh, for me, I gave it an 83 so we're pretty much in line around the same grade, I think. Uh, pros, look, I mean, it's an immensely quotable uh movie, and you can't have a script, I think, that this this quotable without being a pretty good writer. Um, the characters are, are well drawn. Uh, the comedy is is on point. There are a ton of just laugh out loud moments, and and like you said, the the printer the printer destroying sequence alone is worthy of popping this movie in and watching it i still feel yes i feel like the third act there's a problem there i don't know that i love the way that, that the director the movie went i feel like it could have done better that being said i don't feel like it's the worst thing it's not like i get to the end of this movie and i groan um i i'm like that about wonder woman if you want to listen to my problems with the third act of Wonder Woman, go listen to our review on Wonder Woman we did a few weeks ago, uh, and you'll understand. Uh, there's not that level of um, just third act uh, – I'm trying to think of how I want to phrase it. It's just like there's no the, – the problems with the third act are not of that level. It doesn't destroy the movie for me, or at least mostly. destroy the movie for me. This, for the most part, still works. I just think they could have done a a better job. They could have gone a different route. You get away from the bobs. You get away from the inside of Inatech, which is where the satire really works the best in this movie. Uh, when you get outside of that and you start going down this different route with them trying to you know steal all this money, it um, it kind of takes a little bit of that uh, satirical power away from from what they were doing. They were really they really zeroed in on that, and I just felt like they got away from it. Um, so yeah an 83 for me so let's move on to acting so uh take it away
2: um like we kind of mentioned there's a a lot of big names in this movie i wouldn't say like anything that really the only actor or that is still been doing a lot of big name stuff as of late would be jennifer aniston but still quite a few big names in it and face recognizable faces Mm -hmm. uh but yeah they a lot of really good solid acting um some did significantly better uh clearly like gary cole uh, just being able to put on that one level of emotion like not like oh he's phoning it in but like truly portraying that this boss doesn't care about this employee like he's doing it because you work for him <laughs> like uh kind of mentality and the bobs uh just the taller bob as some of the uh descriptors are used for him I, I anything he's in I can't help but just I think he does an amazing job uh, John C. McGinley uh, yeah. Um Ron Lemmingson did a really good job as well. Um, but uh there are some performances that I think could have been a little bit more outgoing. Like, um oh we barely even talked about him because he just it wasn't really that uh noticeable. Uh, was it Samir? Yes, yeah, Samir. Samir. I it wasn't anything Honestly, I, they could have probably cast really anybody in that role as, with the performance that was given. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't really anything good either kind of deal, unfortunately. Okay. Um, but all in all, the, a lot of really good performances. Uh, I would give it an
1: 86%. Okay. All right. Uh, 85 for me. Um, Gary Cole, I think, really stands out. I mean, there's a lot of good roles here. I think Jennifer Aniston. Um, I don't think she does a, a bad job in this movie. I just don't think she has a lot to work with. So I think it's it's more of a, the material, actually, um, that she's she's given. I mean, she has given a nice moment there at the end where she finally, you know, gives the big, you know, "f you" to her tchotchke's boss and everything, which I think is supposed to, you know, look. I, I mean. Let me just get back to the to the script for a moment here. And um, one of the things I forgot to mention earlier that I really like is that this this movie, everyone in this movie hates their job. Everyone is dissatisfied with their job. Everyone is trying to find something that gives them a reason to <laughs> to keep living, I guess. And I know I, I laugh when I say that, but it, it's just trying to find something in their job that makes them want to come back. But nobody is is happy, I mean, obviously Peter's not happy. Michael wasn't happy. Samir isn't happy about you know where he's doing, and you know you have Joanna, and she's kind of the same way like she's very unhappy with where she's at currently, and so part of the movie is seeing everybody find a way to break out of that bad place that they're in and rebel. The only person in this movie who really likes their job outside of uh I mean Lumberg, but I don't even know if he loves his job. Uh is is Lawrence next door. I mean he he seems to be perfectly happy with what he does for a living. Uh so it's really about people trying to find something to be happy about, you know, finding joy in their life and in their job. And so uh I feel like that's one of the better aspects of the script. Um but getting back to the acting um I don't think there was a lot that Aniston had to work with. For the most part, it was kind of your, like your standard rom-com-ish yeah, meets Peter. They start a relationship. They get into a fight and you know, kind of go down those well-worn tropes. But uh, in terms of the people that really work well here, I think Livingston does a fine job. I think he's a bit of the everyman. You know, his character is, is kind of meant to just kind of pull you from scene to scene and let the character actors and the other people make you laugh. Um, so Gary Cole... Uh, Michael Bolton's character Lawrence, um, the Bob's, you know, especially John C. McGinley does a great job here. I think it's just good acting generally. I don't think it's it's fantastic acting, and I don't think everyone really stands out. I don't think everyone really benefits fully, but it's mostly because they just don't have a lot to work with. So I'm gonna give it an 85. All right, let's move on to directing. Um, what do you think about Mike Judge as a director on his first? feature
2: um i think i I think he did a good job i like we kind of mentioned it's also part of the script since he wrote it and directed he there are some moments where like some of the non-office scenes could have i don't know it, it didn't necessarily feel needed in some cases uh yeah with, with everything that like you said like we've talked about a lot of great moments and quotable lines and great decision making on what they filmed like along with that scene of the printer scene that was written to not have any dialogue but just that song but he it was really well shot too um he uh he did a good job of making sure that it was done in that way because it's what it needed to be. It wasn't meant to be a moment of dialogue. It was meant to be a moment of action for them. And he, there were moments like that throughout that were really well done. Uh The passing out cake scene. Oh. Like it was something so simple and really not... didn't have any big purpose, but it was just something little to just show how horrible Milton was treated and that was just really well done in the way him deciding to use that scene uh that really kind of showed that he has a he can do a really good job with directing but there's still some of those unnecessary scenes it felt like that like the whole rom-com thing like wasn't needed Eh, I I guess just to kind of get the get more people interested in it, yeah. Um, but I would give him an eighty-five on the directing.
1: Okay. Um, I'm gonna give him a seventy-five on the directing. It, I agree with what you're saying. I think the the printer scene is probably the highlight of the movie in terms of just the way it was shot. Um, there are some other there are other um shots in this movie which are pretty good where Milton's taken back down into the basement and moves his desk in there, and it's it's shot in a way that makes you kind of feel like, oh, this really sucks. I mean, Milton's really isolated down here. It's dark, it's cramped, and, and I think it's shot in a way that makes you feel like you're cramped in there with him. Uh, You know, there's I think there's almost, I want to feel like, a lack of energy in the direction, almost on purpose, to kind of reflect the monotonous drone like feeling of being in an office space in in a a building and in a company where this is what it's like but at the same time i feel like you can see why this is his first feature directing um i some of the shots are good some of the shots are are average and there are some things which i feel like could have been done much better um so for me it all kind of comes down to it's not the worst directorial directorial debut I've ever seen in terms of just the way it was shot the The office scenes are shot wide angle, a lot of them, you know, to kind of just show you like the um the landscape of in tech and the inside, which is good. but I just feel like it could have been better. Uh, it's not like I said the worst thing I've ever seen, but I feel like he could have if he was shooting it today, he would probably shoot it differently and shoot it much better. He has more experience as a director now. He could have done things, I think, in a better way. So 75 for me. All right. Let's go on to well, special effects. There's nothing there because there's no special effects uh, to really talk about. Um, so that gets skipped. And we're going to go on to editing and pacing. So um, I saw some editing issues a little bit in this movie. Some things didn't really match up. Uh, a character would do any one thing, and they would flip to the other side, and it didn't match up quite so perfectly as it probably should have. Um, which is, again, it's not the worst thing, and most people don't even notice it. But I've seen this movie many, many times, so I've I've spotted it. So it might be a little unfair. Uh, as for the pacing, um, you know, I think it's a, it's a fairly well paced movie. There isn't a lot of of fat. It, the movie gets down to business pretty quickly uh it moves through all of its plot at a fairly good pace i think overall um yeah i'll will give it an 83 i think for editing and pacing
2: sounds good um yeah it, it was a, a really nice length like pacing everything about the pacing really was pretty good for what it needed to be uh sometimes you'll find movies that with comedies, like, if they get a little too long and then the, the jokes run out and then you're last, left with that last 20 minutes where it's just nothing really funny. Like, you could tell they're struggling and they're scraping the bottom of the barrel for uh, some of the lines or jokes or something to make you laugh. Um, with uh, the editing, yeah, there there were some, some flaws here and there, but... Uh, for being a movie with really more of a just office setting kind of scenario that's what it's focusing on it was nothing that was too jarring by any stretch uh mostly like i mentioned kind of with the directing, there were some scenes i feel like could have either if they really wanted to keep them in i felt like they could have slim those down and focused that use that extra time to kind of go more with the office stuff and kind of keep that like uh i wanted to know what the hell the bobs and lumberg were talking about when they were questioning him like yeah in death they they kind of let you kind of fade it out on that scene and it's like wait hold on i want to see i want to see him kind of struggle a little bit to explain what he does like Like he's, they put everyone else on the spot. I wanted to see him kind of do that as well. And I don't know. I feel like there were some things like that that could have been given some more time, while the others that really didn't need all that time developed, like the the barbecue scene. Yeah, some of that we really didn't need a whole lot of that extra stuff, Um, whatnot. I I know.
1: I, I agree. I think that they really. Like I said, I mean, this goes back to the whole third act problem. They really could have mined, instead of taking the movie in that direction, I mean, they could have taken it in a way in which we see Bill Lumberg brought down yeah. within that company. And, you know, maybe the movie ends with Lumberg having to work for Peter or something. And Peter's the one saying, uh, Hey, Lumberg, can you, can you, I need to have you come in on Saturday or. <laughs> You know what? I need you to come out on Sunday too, or something. You know, they they could have done it in a way in which they almost flipped the positions where Peter and his friends were now the ones in more power. And instead, it was Lumberg who was kind of brought down because it turns out he doesn't really do much of anything. I mean, he basically just walks around the day drinking coffee, you know, yeah. and they could have found a way to kind of make that, you know, part of what would have made a very good, maybe good you know we don't know but maybe a better yeah. i think at least for me would have been a better third act by having in attack and the people inside kind of letting letting the bobs know just how much lumberg doesn't do so if we're looking at somebody who doesn't have anything to do it's, it's lumberg out of everybody in that well, yeah. in that whole place he's probably the one that has the least amount to do so he's the one that probably could go
2: yeah yeah and like it's just one of those things like Maybe there's a reason why he wanted to leave that one up to like our own speculation as to how that may have gone. I don't know. But um, overall, nothing nothing too jarring or anything too bad like that. Um, So I'd give the editing and pacing an 87.
1: Okay. All right. So rewatchability uh, pretty quick here. I'm going to give it a 90. Um, It's a movie that I feel like is, despite. Some of the issues I have, I feel like it's it's very rewatchable. Um, you could pop this thing on any time of day. Um, I told you before we started recording, this is the kind of movie where if I have nothing to do and I'm flipping through the channels and I see office spaces on, I probably don't have anything to get to. So I'm going to be sitting and watching this movie for the next two hours, almost two hours um, with commercials. So I'm just I've always been like that if it's on I'm probably watching it if it's halfway through I'll finish off the movie so uh, I do really enjoy watching Office Space and so it, to me it gets a high rewatchability grade
2: Sounds good Yeah it, it is very enjoyable it it does have the Mike Judge feel to it the the crude humor the absolutely foul mouth language by every sense of the word (laughs) (laughs) like so so like um sometimes like you know not necessarily up for that per se depends on the mood um i feel like that's term i've used so much in the past once but with his kind of humor and whatnot it can definitely you can definitely not like when i've I've watched it about two or three times this year so far, and definitely when we were going through, or when I was doing it for this, it was like t- man, like the dream sequence of him just reiterating, well, Limbert fucked her, like yep. I mean, yep. like, after a while <laughs> I was like come on <laughs> like, yeah. so it's definitely one of those things that it can it can kind of get to you if you're not be careful with it, but all in all, it's absolutely uh one of those that I can just pop in most of the time and watch without too many issues or concerns and enjoy and laugh my laugh my butt off um, so I give it an eighty percent
1: okay all right well, I'm gonna tally up the grades here, and uh my overall grade for it is eighty one your overall grade is an 85, so the overall uh, grade for us is going to be an 83. So the Freaking Geek score, 83 overall, which I think is fair. I think an 83, it's, it's a pretty good grade, and I think it's around where it probably should be. Um, it It's definitely a cult classic for a reason. It's not a perfect movie by any stretch, but it's a really good movie, and it's hilarious. So definitely... Uh, I would consider checking this out if you haven't seen this i I think you definitely need to make sure that you sit down and watch office space because it is um, a cult classic for a reason for sure all right well it looks like that's it for us so hopefully uh we'll see you guys here in a two weeks for our uh for our next review with the two of us uh, of course I'll be doing a review each week with uh, Sarah and possibly Barry it depends on his availability but Sarah and I knock out a a review each week and uh, you and I knock out a review every other week so see us in two weeks for the next review with Jacob and I on the Freaking Geeks podcast and thanks for listening and we'll see you
0: next time bye Thanks for listening to the Freaking Geeks podcast. Be sure to visit freakinggeeks.com as well as our Patreon page at patreon.com slash freakinggeeks for more great content. Also, please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes. Trust us, it really helps. If you'd like to write into the podcast and share your thoughts and ask questions, you can do so by sending your email to freakinggeeksmedia at gmail.com. You can contact Michael on Twitter using at Michael underscore Lanage. You can contact Sarah on Twitter using at Labyrinth Rose or at Freak Geeks.